We're going to begin this evening in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, I want us to notice verses 9 through 13. Matthew 9, beginning with verse 9. And Jesus passed forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn uh, what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Each year, we have to deal with the tax collector. Every year it comes around. The same was true in Jesus' day. Everyone had to pay taxes to the government. When we think about Jesus, we uh, think about all the wonderful things that He did. We think about the amazing things He did during His ministry. He healed the sick. Uh, he healed the blind. He healed the lame. He also raised the dead from the, from the grave. He stilled the storms of nature. He did all of those wonderful miracles and, and uh, performed all of those signs that proved who He was. But I think one of the greatest things that He did is something that is so often overlooked and something that we really never talk about was he called a tax collector into his service. And someone looks at that and and they say, well, why was that so great? Well, that was so great because especially when you consider the tax collector was usually a completely and wholly corrupt individual. We look around in our time today and we think of the IRS and we think of how corrupt that department of the government and institution is, and it has been proven to be such. It hasn't been that long ago that it was proven that the IRS was being used as an arm of the executive branch, and it was being used to target conservative uh, businesses and organizations, and it was used to punish people. The IRS, part of our government. And we think how terrible that was. And it is. It is a terrible thing that that was happening. But publicans, during the time of Jesus, they were especially corrupt. They were wholly corrupt. They were completely corrupt. So the title of the sermon this afternoon is, Can a Tax Collector Get to Heaven? Was that going to even be possible that someone who held that position for the Roman government, did he have a shot at getting to heaven? Because Matthew was called into the service of Jesus, he learned some very important things about who Jesus was, how he interacted with the people, and exactly what Jesus thought about His creation. Now, the first thing I want us to think about that Matthew learned was Jesus would and will accept all people. 
Now, we have to qualify that, right? We have to qualify that. There are some conditions attached to that. We can't misunderstand that. Jesus will accept all people, but only if they will fully accept Him, right? That's a that's something we have to understand. Jesus will accept anyone, but only if they will choose to follow Him. If a person will choose to follow Jesus, He will accept them. It doesn't matter, even if they were a tax collector. See, that tax collector had to change some things about himself, right? We have to follow Him in the way He asks us to follow Him. That's the thing. Now, we have to think about it. Think about the group that Jesus assembled. Think about that group of men He brought together, for the most part, fishermen. He didn't bring together professional speakers. He didn't bring together uh, a group of, of the smartest academics of the time. Who would ever believe those men could have been successful in helping Him carry out His mission in this world? Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that He was going to be able to gather these twelve men together and go into the part of the world in which He came into and from that part of the world go into all the rest of the world and change the world? But that's exactly what He did. He did. He changed the world. Now we need to really consider the personalities of that group. They were mostly uneducated. There was a greedy treasurer. He never did change, did he? But that didn't stop the mission. There was an employee of the Roman government. There was another man in that group whose name was also Simon. He was the other Simon. Now he was known as Zelotes. Simon Zelotes. Because he was a zealot. Now, what that mean, meant was he was anti-government, anti-Roman government, right? He hated the Roman government, and in addition to hating the Roman government, he hated anyone he thought was a traitor to the government of Israel or the Israeli people. And so, you know who that would have included? All publicans. Because publicans worked for the Roman government. He felt like anyone who worked for the Roman government was a traitor to the people, And that would have been Matthew. And so Matthew would have been one of those folks because publicans were contracted by the Roman Empire to collect taxes for them. Now here's how that worked. The local tax collector could collect all the taxes he wanted to collect as long as he sent in the proper amount of taxes to the empire. Now what that boils down to is you collect all you want. You go above and beyond as long as you send Caesar what he's asking for. As long as you send Caesar what he's asking for, you collect all you want, you become wealthy, and most of them were. You become wealthy, and you live the kind of life you want to live while everyone else is living a very poor life, and you've made your living off your brethren. And see, and that's why one of the reasons they hated them. Now here's something else about publicans. A publican was not allowed to enter a certain part of the temple. Okay? They weren't allowed to do that. They were not allowed to socialize with decent folks. And the only time a devout Jew would have anything to do with a publican was when they needed to pay their taxes. Of course, think about it. How often do we interact with the IRS? Only when we have to. Right? Right? Only when we have to. 
How could Jesus have been so successful with such a mix of people who had so little in common? Well, He was so successful then for the same reasons He is successful today. How can the church be successful today? And the church is successful. Now, we were talking in class this morning about the number of members of the Lord's church. Maybe 20 million in the whole of the world. So how can we say the church is successful? The church is successful if it is doing what God's asked it to do. If the church is reaching out to the communities around it. If the church is living faithfully and trying to teach the gospel to the people around it. The church is being successful. So how can the church be successful when it has such a hodgepodge of different folks in it? Does does everyone who is a member of the church have all things in common? No. There there is a mixture of all kinds of people in the church, isn't there? There are people who have different uh, hobbies, different likes, different dislikes. Not everyone likes all the same things. But here's what makes the church successful. They only have to have one thing in common. Jesus. And that's what these twelve men had in common. They had Jesus in common. Jesus will accept anyone if they choose to follow Him. And those who do choose to follow Him will find the freedom of heaven. If we accept Him, we'll follow Him, and then there is the freedom of heaven. That is one of the things that Matthew learned. Have you ever asked yourself, why would Jesus invite a tax collector to be part of His missionary effort? After all, they provided well for themselves. Usually dishonestly, but they lived a great life. Zacchaeus lived a great life. He was a chief tax collector. He was very wealthy and rich. So why would Jesus do that? Well, I think one of the answers to that, and this is something that I think, excuse me, Matthew discovered, was he saw something in Matthew that probably Matthew didn't even see in himself. But over time, he watched and learned some of the great things from that experience. Matthew learned some things. He learned Jesus considered him to be somebody. Do you think that felt good to Matthew? Now remember Matthew's situation, right? How long do you think it had been since Matthew had heard a kind word from someone? Do you think Matthew often heard someone say, Matthew, how are you today? I hope you have a nice day, Matthew. I don't think he heard that very often, did he? That probably didn't happen very often to him. I wonder how many people came into contact uh, with him who wanted to be in contact with him. Probably not very many people. Solomon said this, Proverbs sixteen twenty four: Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. I think that was foreign to Matthew in his everyday interactions. Just simply because of what his occupation was. Here's something else I think he learned. I think he learned there was hope. There was hope. People in Matthew's occupation were ostracized from society, often enduring isolation and despair. That's what the world thought of them. How comforting it must have been for him to have been accepted 
and able to enjoy the companionship of those who cared something about him. Do you know that's what Christians have in common? And do you know why they have that in common? Because they have Jesus in common. And because of that, the apostles were never surprised of the compassion that Jesus showed for other folks. Jesus would extend compassion even toward people who were guilty of sin. We turn over to John 8, 1 through 11, and they caught this woman in adultery. And they drag her before Jesus and they begin to disparage her and, and talk about her and, and ask him questions about her. And then he asked them, Well, those of you who have no sin can cast the first stone. Now, Jesus wasn't overlooking her sin. Because if you recall, He told her, He said, Go and sin no more. Don't go and participate in this action any longer. But what He noticed is the same thing that we noticed. You know, they didn't drag the man before Jesus. Only the woman. Where was the man? See, they were just trying to catch Jesus in a trap. So if you aren't going to drag the man before me, if you aren't going to drag the other guilty party, what are you doing? Go and sin no more. Turn your life around. Turn to God. Be the kind of person you know you ought to be. And sin no more. See, He still demonstrated compassion and kindness and love toward her. He would go against the customs of the day to save a soul, wouldn't He? Not only would He live and work and, and be around a publican, He would even attend a party with a publican. <laughs> he would go and He would have a meal with a publican. Now, He didn't participate in their sin. And he'd see, he, would, he would state that up front, wouldn't He? They understood where Jesus stood when it came to living a righteous life. But... Offering freedom from sin, they knew that was the option if they would just follow Him. He did not allow social discomfort to prevent Him from reaching out and offering that, and we shouldn't either. He left the glory of heaven to do that. I think we can leave the comfort of our homes to do that and follow His example. Matthew learned some things. He learned some things by being called into Jesus' service. He learned that Jesus will accept those who follow Him, and from that they can receive the freedom of heaven. And he knew that Jesus could do that because He acquainted Himself with people. How do we get to know people and put ourselves in a position to be able to teach the gospel to them? We have to know people, don't we? We have to get to know people. I think that's going to be the way of the future. I think that's going to be the way of the future. I think we're going to have to get to know people. Somehow, we're going to have to get to know people. And through that, we're going to have to be able to teach them the gospel in that way. We're going to have to make contact with them. I don't think the, the cold door knock's going to get it done anymore. Maybe at one time that was effective. I think that's, uh, that, that's gone now just for a myriad of reasons. But he was acquainted with people. He reached out to the world. 
He did the unthinkable according to the Pharisees. He interacted with those who were trapped in sin. You see, sin is a trap. And we need to be able to help people out of that trap. I imagine the other apostles were just a little bit confused as well. Now remember, I'm sure they were not very excited to be in the company of a whole group of society's outcasts either. Remember, those other men that Jesus called, they were loyal to Israel. They were still thinking that, that Jesus was going to allow Israel to claim her place in the uh, in the history of the world, to be a world power once again. They weren't understanding this whole idea of what Jesus' kingdom was going to be. They were still looking at the, the physical aspects of it instead of it being a spiritual kingdom. He, they wanted it to be restored to its former glory as a, as a world power, right? But you see, Christ's whole goal was to import to impact the lives of all people. And they wanted to, and he wanted to reach out to people like Matthew, who needed that help. Matthew needed the help. And Jesus wanted to do that. And because of the love and kindness shown to him, Matthew wanted to share that with his friends. Well, of course he would have wanted to have shared that with his friends, right? No wonder there was a party at his house where other publicans were invited. He wanted them to be able to share in that. That just makes good sense, doesn't it? He was lifted out of of a life of sin, and, and we ought to want to help our friends and loved ones to be lifted out of a life of sin. So naturally, he would want to do that. Have a meal in honor of Jesus, and for him to invite those for whom he cared. He wanted them to experience that same joy, and, and that ought to be our goal. Within the context of Jesus' life, He not only came to bring salvation to those who were not members of God's physical nation, which that would happen in Acts chapters 10 and 11 with Cornelius and his family, but, but He wanted those who were members of God's nation to return to Him who needed to return. Matthew was one of those people. Matthew was a, was a publican. Those other publicans and sinners, they needed to return back. The woman caught in adultery, she needed to return back. So he wanted those people to return. They lived under the Old Testament law. They needed to do the proper things to return back to God and be faithful under that system. You know, we learned some very amazing things from the fact that a party was being hosted. God doesn't only want the unfaithful to return home. When they do return home, you know what He wants us to do? Kill the fatted calf. Rejoice. Be happy. That's what He wants us to do. We see it with the prodigal son. We see it with the missing coin. Right? When the, when the sheep was found, what happened in each of those cases? They called the neighbors together and they rejoiced. They were happy. We ought to be happy. Right? Let's kill the fatted calf, Luke 15, 22 through 24. Jesus rejoiced when the sinner came home and repented and returned to Him, just like Matthew did. Matthew rejoiced. A celebration always takes place when the sinner comes home. We know that for a fact. There's always a celebration. That may not happen here. May not happen on earth, 
But it ought to. It ought to happen on earth because it always happens in heaven. Notice Luke 15.10. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You know, when a brother or sister repents, they ought to see the joy in the faces of the other brothers and sisters, right? That's one thing I think you can say about us here. When someone repents, that person's going to have a hard time getting out the front door. You got to fight your way through the crowd, right? And that's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. The church is the place where we find the good news. And let us never lose our joy from the good news. Have you ever traveled and you've gone into a service somewhere and you're looking around and you're looking for the good news because everyone in there looks like it's gone? Let's, let's never be that way. The church is the source of the good news. Look, we ought to be happy that we have the good news. Matthew learned Jesus will accept those who choose to follow Him. He was able to do that because Jesus acquainted Himself with people. He reached out to them. He wanted those who needed to return to return. Finally, He learned Jesus acknowledged people's souls are important. That's really where we have to begin, right? We have to acknowledge that. That's our third and our final point. One of the problems at that time, though, was while Jesus acknowledged the importance of each soul, the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders were doing something exactly the opposite. They were protesting. They were protesting. They didn't acknowledge anything was important other than themselves, right? They continually complained about Jesus being in the presence of sinners. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That doesn't even make good sense. That's why He had to explain to them His whole purpose in coming. We read the the passage before us. He came to call sinners to repentance, not the faithful. You don't have to call the faithful to repentance. They're already where they need to be, right? They just have to maintain. He told them healthy people didn't need a physician. How many times does a healthy person have to go to the doctor? They're like the tax collector. We try to stay away from the doctor when we're healthy, right? The primary thing they failed to realize, they were in the same situation the publicans were in. They needed the Messiah who they knew was coming and the one who they should have recognized, but they didn't. They were so filled with jealousy and hatred over Jesus, they couldn't even see Him. You remember Luke 18, 10 through 14, when the two men went up into the temple to pray? You see, one was a Pharisee and one was a was a publican. And the Pharisee began to, to... It says he began to pray to God. I don't know that we could call it that, really. What he began to do was to brag on himself to God and tell God how lucky he was to have such an honorable person in his service, wasn't he? And then he began to tell God, he said, I'm so thankful to you, I'm not like 
this publican over here. And how honorable he was. And, and how great. And then he began to say that he was so glad he wasn't an extortioner. And how he wasn't unjust or a murderer. Or an adulterer. Or even as this publican. And, and how he fasted twice a week. And you know, Jesus talked about fasting. And he said, you know, if you're going to fast, do it secretly. Do it secretly. Don't be like the publicans. You twist up your face and you go around holding how starving you are. Boy, I hadn't eaten in two days. You know, you just go fast. God knows when you're fasting. I give tithes of all I possess. And then you had the publican who stood afar off because they weren't even allowed in certain parts of the temple. And he said that publican wouldn't even so much as lift up his eyes toward heaven. His head was bowed down because he knew what his position with God. He had enough sense to know where he stood with God. Whereas the Pharisee had placed himself on a, on a pedestal and he wouldn't even look up toward God. And he smote himself upon the breast and he said, Be merciful unto me a sinner. And Jesus said, who went home justified? See, that was a rhetorical question, wasn't it? It certainly wasn't the, the Pharisee. The Pharisee didn't go home. The Pharisee's a hypocrite. The Pharisee, and, and in fact, in today's language, if you want to call someone a hypocrite and you want to be a little nicer about it, just call them a Pharisee. Because that's what it means. That is an explanation of the majority of the Pharisees during Jesus' ministry. They could never apply to themselves what they applied to other folks. They just couldn't do it. They didn't have it in them. And they completely rejected the truth of the fact that no one receives Jesus' healing without Jesus. It was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father except by me. That's the only way, right? The Pharisees protested, but Matthew understood Jesus does not prefer one person over the other. He loves everyone the same. He loves all people the same. He sat with publicans, but he also wanted to save the Pharisee. He wanted them to understand. His heart went out to them. He felt sorry for the Pharisee probably more than he did the publican. The publican understood where he was, but the Pharisee was just blind. Jesus was courageous in his ministry. He knew that the religious leaders would condemn him, would hate him, and he still reached out to them. Peter saw that when Jesus called Matthew, but he really understood it when he preached the gospel to Cornelius and his family in Acts chapters 10 and 11. And he said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He really understood it then. Jesus loves us all. That includes those who have never obeyed Him. He believes we can change. He believes that. Matthew wanted to change and he did change. See, that makes all the difference. He accepts all people. If all people will accept Him. Christ died on the cross because He believed in us. And now it's our turn to believe in Him in the way that He has described. 
And it's our responsibility to believe in Him and to obey His commandments. You see, the, the tax collector learned a lot from his being chosen by Jesus. He learned Jesus will accept those who choose to follow Him. He learned to follow Christ's example and to acquaint Himself with, with the people of the world. He learned Jesus acknowledged that all souls are important. And he learned that even a tax collector can get to heaven. And if that can happen, any of us can go. Today is the day to claim salvation, whether in initial obedience or in returning to God. And we can claim or reclaim the joy of salvation. Remember, the church, the church is the place where the good news resides. If you've never obeyed the gospel through repentance, confession, immersion in water so the sins can be washed away, do that today. If you've done that and you've become unfaithful, come back to God through repentance, confession of those sins, publicly if necessary, privately if not, and asking God to forgive you. If you need to answer this invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.